You're listening to World Building for Masochists. And we're wondering why we do this to ourselves. Because when you see an idea in the wild, you have to chase it wherever it leads you. I'm Marshall Ryan Maresca. I'm Cass Morris. I'm Rowena Miller, and this is episode 99, Connect the Dots. Marshall, I gotta say, I kind of like how your answer turns writing ideas into questing beasts, or 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 wild boars. I mean, they are really. They're, they're, or they're, wild they're... boars. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> wild <laughs> boars chase you. In Soviet Russia, world building idea chases you. That's. <laughs> I mean, that's how they get you where you need to go is by chasing you. Sometimes that that's is the true. case. Yeah. Sometimes they lead. Sometimes they sometimes yes. they hurt. They never follow though. Oh. No. Coaxed sometimes. They, they, they can, can be bribed. Rarely. But and occasionally you get chased up a tree by them and just have to hope that someone comes to rescue you. I may be in danger of going too far with this metaphor. I was gonna say that's that's why everybody needs needs like writing partners and beta it's readers. It's true. It is why you need writer friends <laughs> to come get you down out of the tree. That was a much better angle than I was taking of like, so carry bear mace for your ideas in case they get out of hand. <laughs> yeah, no way. Editors so. for don't editors have the bear, have mace. The bear mace? I feel like e- editors <laughs> are the bear mace. <laughs> Welcome back, listeners, for episode 99. I kind of can't believe oh it's it's baby's last double digits here. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. It is. That's so many. We did all that and didn't die or it's kill true. each other. In fact, <laughs> I'd say we even enjoyed most of it, which is truly remarkable. Yeah, y- y'all are on my list of people I can hardly at all imagine myself wanting to kill. That's a really short list. <laughs> but such an honored list to be on. <laughs> Plus, if I needed to kill you no, two, it... I assume you would have done something, like, wonderfully creative and murderous and, like, gone on a, a wild spree of some kind of crime. But, but if we did that, at least be a good story. would have been involved. Yeah. Yeah, I would hope so. Actually, that's, maybe that's say, why I would have to kill you, yes, is if you didn't invite me <laughs> that's to exactly your crime correct. spree. They they went on a crime spree without me. Without yeah. me, I I, I would. I'd be so good at it never too. Cast. I would. I would, I would never, never do crimes without you. Excellent. I would. Aww. I wouldn't do crimes without you too either. So. <laughs> We're just kidding, <laughs> law enforcement professionals who may be listening to this podcast. That was all a joke. Ha ha ha. ha. I would never do yeah. crimes without you or with you. I would never, I would do, never do crimes. Do full stop. Well, do we have any announcements or? You have a book that if I am you. doing my math correctly, which is is a dubious <laughs> statement to be sure, uh, should have come out the day before this episode releases. So March twenty March twenty eighth right. Fairy Bargains of Prospect Hill is in the wild at a bookstore near you. So yes, that, that should be correct. It's so excellent. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Thank you, guys. Like, I always feel like there's, of course, there's more announcements we have, but like. Oh, we haven't talked about um, Hugo nominations yet. Those are real. We That's have not. That's true. At the time this we airs, you'll still have a month, should you wish to, dear listeners, to nominate us for the 2023 Hugo Awards. We are once again eligible for Best Fan Cast, and we would love your consideration because 2022 was kind of a banger year for the podcast. We had amazing people on i mean that's true every year but But yes it was it was a pretty awesome year overall amazing guests amazing topics amazing digging deeper than we have before which i think was um it was a fun challenge to keep it fresh you know and and not you know we could retread the same topics but dig deeper on them and 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 go even even more painful in the world building. Um, we also had the fantastic opportunity to record two episodes live together. So that was, um, those are really fun. The energy is super fun. Great so much fun. Actually having human people listening to you is just, it's fantastic. 
Yeah, it's no. we're just listening to each um, other. It's not human people. Pretty sure. I'm just talking to Barely human right people. But if it's just us. To, to to see the people you're talking including being able to do it like with y'all yeah. in person. Like, so yeah, that was, that was great. super fun. When will we get to do that again? I don't know. I don't know. Someday we will. Maybe, <laughs> maybe someday. Maybe next year <laughs> in Scotland. Yes. But dear listeners, say, that means you'll have to nominate us next year too. You will have to nominate us next year too, yes. Yeah. So I was gonna say I've like loosely penciled that. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah. It would be for, <laughs> for this and for the exciting things we're gonna have coming up later this year, oh, yeah. which keep listening, folks, because our season five um, opener is keep, gonna be yeah. in June and it's gonna be exciting. It's gonna be exciting. It's gonna tease you with that for now. That's gonna yes. be exciting and And we have like an entire summer of like fantastic guests slated all We are which is bangers. really exciting. Absolutely packed. Yeah. Our I mean, schedule is wild. I sort of can't believe it. It's it's yeah. We're booked like until September at this point, which is just I, I, yeah, it's whoa, it is. It's wonderful, but it's mind blowing. I can't it's wait amazing. to talk to all these people. I'm so excited. We get to talk to all these cool people who have a lot of them have very cool books coming out over the summer, which is part of why I was like, we need to get this person because they're going to have a cool book yes. coming out in the summer. And then other people reached out to us and said, I have, cool books. I have cool books coming out in the summer. And we said, okay, cool. And like, we're now at the point where we'll get, I'm sure we'll get more outreach and I'm going to have to be like, I'm sorry. We're, <laughs> <laughs> we can only do so much before we pass out. I mean, really and, part of our mission here is to make your, to be red pile grow enormously taller and overtake your entire house that's pretty much what we want to do with it's our mission it's our goal it's what we hope to do just stacks and stacks of all the astounding fantasy that is coming out every year including this upcoming year because it's oops all bangers yeah (laughs) the 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 whole the whole lineup it's well and we have and we have had so many fantastic guests recently that we haven't gotten much of a chance yes. to loop back around and play in our own world that we've been building and kind of start applying some of the stuff that we've been talking about. So we thought that, that now would be a good time. Now would be a good time to revisit our world and <laughs> and do a little work there. So one thing we recently had a fantastic episode on the concept of intersectionality with uh, C.U. Davis Akabunga came on and it was just, it was a fantastic conversation. Um, and I realized, gosh, we're at a point with our world that we probably know enough about it and are comfortable enough to start applying fancy academic lenses to it. And I was like, ah, oh, we can start thinking about all the things we've been talking about in a more complex and interconnected way. And I was like, oh, yes, this will be fun. We're going to have fun. Yeah, the things that you said that, that got me, like, it was just so it was so perfectly phrased is talking about the matrix of power and identity. Like that was such a good way to put it because there are almost infinite numbers of, of levels that you could be thinking about these things on. You shouldn't try to follow every single thread because <laughs> if you did that, you would never actually write a book. You would just keep making matrices forever. If matrices are what you find fun, we don't want to get in your way. I mean, that's do true. That's do. true. That's true. If you want to write a book, you probably have to stop doing it at some point. But if you don't want to write a book and you just want to create matrices, then more power to you. But I think figuring out, like, what are some of the most important... What's, what's, what, what do you call the bits of a matrix? I don't remember my math. Are they, are they axes? The layers? The that, I don't know. Grids? I like the, the word axes. I don't know I don't if know, it's the right things. Not, but... I don't know. I don't remember. Anyway, um, I'm sure some clever listener with better math skills than us could tell us. Yes. Whatever. The bits. I'm just going to call them the bits. Figuring out which of those things are the most important. (laughs) Both, like, our world in general, but that might not be the same in each of our societies individually. There might be different different levers that suddenly become more important when you're in a specific location. Within our location, you know, within our society. we, We talk about our societies as, you know, cohesive things, but that does not mean they're monolithic in any sense. Certainly. So, yeah, what do we think are some of the big axes of power in our world in general and then for each of our little societies? We helpfully knocked out some of the, the ones that are most powerful in our world by by making it asshole light in, in the ways that we have. Yes. I mean, 
you know, because I think we had even even before the MNG, we had kind of determined that the geography of the world was going to contribute to like distinctions and divisions between places, between the concept, even the concept of race is going to get kind of weird because there's a lot more fluidity in terms of, of how people are, are divvied up or not divvied up. But I imagine that still just like the identity of ethnicity and where you are from, where you hail from, language might be something that begins to play a bigger role in terms of their languages that are used more for trade. Cultural identity in general, like what does that get more tied to? Is it is cultural identity necessarily about ethnicity or is it about like where you grew up or is it is it about language? I mean, I think... There is something interesting in that of tying cultural identity closer to what you speak rather than what you look like or where you're physically from. One thing I think, too, is um, I mean, just looking at the geography of our world and thinking about the tech level that it's at, that we're getting um, kind of ships and things that, that are more capable and trade is going to start to pick up. So who is plugged in? to that particular economic sector and who is not plugged in. Um, and I could see the potential for th- like, even like the time that we're talking about within our world's development, like that this being a moment of shift in terms of economic power and economic access as the concept of, of trade is probably shifting and changing and, and growing in a lot of um, ways that this is a point that we've kind of decided that like, you know, seafaring technology has picked up but we don't have for example yet like trains or other land-based shipping that's going to like even the playing field between coastal and non-coastal areas and things like that and also places that are producing luxury goods that are suddenly like oh you can buy these all over the world now we can ship this everywhere and make money so like yeah like access to economic um systems might be something that i see our world being at a moment that that's like a thing also, in terms of shift, it just occurred to me, like, so people in this world, there would be the people who, like, ship things and and travel with things and, and are doing the, the commerce part. The way they see the world is going to be a very physical map. And then, and then you have the travelers and the gate users who see the world in a very, you know, like a subway station, just what's linked to what, and not really thinking about where something is on the globe. But, like, based on what you're talking about, we are, like, reaching the point where in the world, unifying these two concepts is starting to come together. The idea of thinking of both aspects at the same time. Yeah, it's sort of interesting that wealth and access to wealth are going to be levers of power, Mm. but we're going to get that in different ways in different places. Um the traditional, you know, port towns and things like that are going to accumulate this kind of wealth, especially with the ships coming in and out of them. MNG hubs may also have a certain component of it, but of course they can't get the goods, but they can be the brokers. And so that's a different level of power play that I think is really interesting. And then we did, we never finished making our MNG map, but we marked at least a couple of places that were like, that were both like, if you are from a city that is a port town and has an MNG hub, like that's automatically giving you a status marker. Yeah. Because you are part of a culture that has access to both of those levers of power simultaneously. And that's going to that's going to give that civilization an advantage that some other ones don't have. That they both are the broker and have the goods at the same time. And then when you drill down within a civilization within kind of one of these corners or areas of the world like who specifically does have access to those various economic and political and diplomatic levers of power you know do you does every we've talked this before at the mng does everyone have mng access is this going to vary i mean that's definitely going to be something that will be a component of of power and in that will vary across the world do you personally as an individual human have access to the MNG or is that something that you you are not given the same same level on the hierarchy yeah we i mean we've talked about how the MNG has like limited usage in that like 
I think we worked out something like at most 600 people can go oh, per I day or know. something it's, like it's, that. It's going to power down at some right. point. Yeah. And you yeah. have to wait between. You can't send an entire army through at once. You have to... It's a person at a time, and it has to recharge, and you, you... And it might vary by gate. Yeah. That might be, you know, not exactly the same in every single gate. And so I can definitely see some societies regulating that right. a lot more. You know, you build your little house, you build your little station around the gate, and not everybody gets access. Whereas some other communities may be much more fluid about right. it. Right. And, and, and it's like, like, oh... All out of all out of uses today. Oh, guess you have to wait till tomorrow. Well, and, eh. and and for what reasons do you get access? Like, is it is it purely like economic? Do we have like this sort of the capitalist system where it's like highest bidder gets to go through the M- MNG today, or you know, or do you buy tickets months in advance, or is it you have to go and plead your case before some you know judge who decides yes, you may access the MNG. Your sob story was good enough. Is there There's a, a complex magical system? nude gate tribunal? Yes. Is there a complex system of bribery that you have to bribe the right person? I mean, this could be, oh, you know. God. Do you have to appear naked in front of the tribunal to to symbolize the your vulnerability and your willingness and and the extent of your need? Well, yes, but only because also the tribunal Maybe meets somewhere right in front of the gate. So therefore, <laughs> if they approve, you got to show you're ready. If, yeah. if you're approved, you're going. <laughs> Go right now. I mean, I don't see why you couldn't have a robe on, but sure, <laughs> sure. Principal Rowan. <laughs> <laughs> nope, nope. You have to be eloquent while naked. Like, you got to summon your rhetorical strength in the nude. Mm. So basically that dream that you have where you have to give a speech in front of a bunch of people and then realize that you're naked is your reality. I was just thinking I'd do very well there. I think I'd be fine. I'd get an all-access pass. <laughs> Kaz is like, you know, that is the dream. It's the dream. <laughs> Naked rhetoric, yeah. That's, that's just a good Saturday night. What are you talking about? <laughs> and I killed Marshall. <laughs> I made the mistake of drinking right in that moment. <laughs> you did. It was, I mean, was... that's on you, man. We were talking about nudity and rhetoric. You should have known something incredible was going to come out of my mouth. There's a there's a spit take, listeners. There's I a spit should take. should have been prepared. <laughs> there's an actual spit take. I, sh- I, I managed <laughs> to stop myself before it reached that level, but it was very close. <laughs> but. So anyway, cultures might develop things yeah. like that. Rituals around the access of right. the gate. And that in turn can further and contribute to the matrix of power and identity. Yes. And in fact, I mean, very, very overtly demonstrating the, the, the imbalance of power within a society. Who gets to hold those levers and be the ones who be like, yes, you, you're the one who gets to go through the gate next or, oh, sorry, you didn't, you didn't fill out the right forms. Oh, I'm so sorry. Your, your trip was going to have to be delayed four months while we put this all back through the system. Oh, (laughs) I'm, picture, I'm picturing a Roz from Monsters, Inc. Yeah. As in charge of the gate at some point. <laughs> I need your paper. Mr. Wazowski. <laughs> Mr. Wazowski, you did not fill out these forms in the right order. You cannot go through the Nakey Gate today. <laughs> oh, God, that's a great character. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so someone needs to write her. Yes, we're establishing yes. now. Roz. Roz. There's a character named Roz somewhere in this world. <laughs> she manages the paperwork. And that's her job. For one of the gates. Yes. Some societies MNG. Yes, I love it. Yeah. So another fantastic guest that we had on was Darcy Little Badger, who came on to talk about speaking of oceans and and access to oceans and oceans as a thing, oceanic world building. And I've realized in thinking about it that all of our little corners of the world are are water adjacent in some way. Like that is an important part of each of our little sections of the world. So, like, how does your little corner engage with the ocean and or water? Aside from licking snails. Are they are they oceanic snails? I think they are land snails in freshwater ponds. Okay, all right. But they are on an island, and you have to get to the island. Not to mention, I think, I mean, the, the ocean is a source of of you know food and bounty for for a lot of the i think it is a very coastal civilization and therefore well and they... i believe i recall that their their euphemism for buying the farm kicking the bucket was to 
walk off into the ocean. No, it's taking a swim. Taking a swim. It's taking a yes, swim. Taking a swim. Because that's just the the you know, where are they? We're taking a swim, and we don't talk about it otherwise. Yes. It's sort of an interesting perspective, because like your the your nation isn't surrounded by like huge ocean. It's it's more of that inland sea area type, right? Right. It's so kind it's of... not like they're looking at the vast endlessness of ocean and deciding, ah, yes, death, metaphor. Like, your part of the ocean is probably more controlled than some of the open waters, and yet oh, still, yeah. they've still built this particular, they've built this particular metaphor around it, which perhaps also says something about how they see death, which is cool. Well, A, that it is, you know, rejoining the circle of life, but it's also, it's not merely a metaphor for death. It was a metaphor for specifically taking your own life when you're become like too sick to take care of yourself. Like that was like when, when you're no longer feel that you life isn't worth living because of whatever that you're just, you know, like, and we, we speak of it kindly because that is a choice we respect. So in fallen year is, is, is more, more river, river oriented. oriented. Yeah. They have ocean access, but it's basically off of their their one delta. And I think they themselves are not hugely seafaring. I think I think they have some boats, but they are more reliant on boats coming to them. Well, and as they, they should be, because it's need. like, we'll just come down the river. It's right here. It's not yeah, hard. It's like, it's, it's not, we're just gonna, we'll meet you. We'll meet you right there. And it's fine. Yeah. Which they can do. And they can count on people coming we to them because the they have some pretty nice. For you. Yeah, they have some they have some nice goods. They've got ice and they've got paper and they've got and especially in a world that is becoming more reliant on paper and records and things like the fact that they've got paper is a good resource for them. But they are they are much more river oriented than open ocean. Um, and it's really just the one the one big river because I, I based it on I was like Egypt, but cold. Yes. Um, was was the the starting concept for Fjallanir. So the river is really important. The river is the the bloodline of the entire nation, really. You can't get but so far off of it and still have easily habitable territory. Um, More so in the Delta, where it's a little warmer, a little um, less tundra-like, but the further upriver you go, the more dependent on the river you really are, unless you are, you know, really woodsy type who wants to go go cut the ice down from the glacier and bring it to to the river to float down and cut um, the trees to make the paper. Yeah. Well, I think no, I think I think the paper is more reed based. I think that's more in the delta. I think that's um mm. closer reedy. closer to a papyrus a papyrus type plant, but perhaps one that makes a little more like a reedy reliable a reedy hempy kind of kind of, kind of a Yeah. And I, I stole a lot of that idea from um, the Netherlands, too, because that's where England got all its paper early on, which is why a bunch of Dutch swear words come into the English language at that time, which is a historical detail I just love because all of their <laughs> sailors were going and getting, picking up all the paper and learning interesting Dutch words and bringing them back to England. Um, As we do when we learn a foreign language, yeah. we learn the curse words first. We learn the dirty words first. The most useful words. Yeah. I think Fjallanir respects the ocean, but is perfectly happy for other people to to be the seafaring types but like interestingly uh, from an axis of of power and economic mobility they're still yeah. like plugging into what the ocean has to offer even if they're not doing it yeah. themselves and i wonder if it's a fairly recent development in their society because up until there was a greater need for paper they probably weren't as powerful an economic player because they didn't have the advantages that egypt had which was a fuck ton of grain They've got some other goods worth trading for, but they wouldn't have been a powerhouse until suddenly there is this great worldwide need for a specific thing that they have that maybe not a lot of other nations have. So it might be within the last, I don't know, century or so that they've actually become more of a, a focal point of global trade than they than they historically have been. Which might be why they're still a little, a little they're a little tightly wrapped people. They're they're not quite as loosey goosey as that's, some of that's their. Kind of them though. There's there's sort of a yeah yeah they're a little buttoned, buttoned up. up. It's cold there. They have to wear lots but, of clothes. But we, so. but we love them. Yeah. We love them. Yeah, I do. My little nation of Virgos yes. in, in what I picture as very Elizabethan clothing. Fair. Yeah. yeah, I think that it's not surprising Elnaut Lear is very plugged into the ocean, and that's a huge part of their culture, but also of their economic strategy at this point in history. I think they're kind of on the on the cutting edge of seafaring technology and 
and shipping things and, and getting involved in speculation and speculative trade. So they're probably bringing a lot of paper back to keep track of like all of their bills of sale and inventories and, and speculative um, enterprises. But yeah, I think that's an interesting moment of like, so you have this archipelago that that always was pretty decent at growing stuff, but what is it going to do with all that stuff without having um, international trade established and so having this kind of growth in being able to ship things abroad, they're kind of on the rise in terms of accessing economic power. One thing that comes to mind is with the sea being such a source of economic power, it makes sense that there's going to be a strong naval military of some sort because, you know, somebody's going to be like, we have to command the seas. But there's probably also going to be a strong element of piracy. Oh, I think we and... definitely have pirates. <laughs> yes. There are definitely, we definitely pirates. I hope there's pirates just fucking everywhere just because <laughs> that's just fun. It is fun. But then you also have a, have to have a system of people who want to stop the pirates mm-hmm. and and who who is a pirate and who is a a privateer. Well, yes, I mean who is a privateer? It's just an just an entrepreneur signing on for, you know, a snapper up of unconsidered oceanic trifles. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> when everything that floats is a prize. But also like are there oceanic states for all intents and purposes like are there you know, mm. if there is a pirate queen like what is her queendom and <laughs> yeah like is it a coalition of something that is like formalized yeah. in in some way and once it is formalized then is it no longer piracy but a nation it's a good question that, that all not yeah. does not recognize by the way <laughs> i mean that is kind of how what we know of as the Vikings, the the Nordic peoples for many centuries kind of operated as like there were technically like kings of the Danes and kings of the Swedes, but mostly people didn't really pay attention to them. It was like, we're going to get together for this raiding, but if you piss me off, I'm going to leave. Bye. And so they were sort of nations, <laughs> but they were inherently unstable. And I'm thinking about that on like a much larger global scale that it is kind of a nation, but also kind of not because it can fall apart at literally any time when people have a tiff. But that does also raise the question within our world, what is a nation and what is considered recognizing a nation? Especially, I I, I don't think we have a UN. So it, no, There's probably quite a bit of, of variance between different places of do we, does our culture open itself to the concept of that being a nation or or not? Also, do, have you pissed us off recently? Because if you have, you're not a nation. With the MNG, I think like that lends itself to the idea that diplomacy is a far more formalized thing because you can have you know, instant communication back home and all that. And then, okay, maybe there's not a United Nations, but is there more of a formal sense of, like, who are the leading nations of the world and how do they talk to each other? And and I, I can kind of see, you know, we, we, we came up with a couple of sort of, like, strong loops of gates when we were thinking about our map. Nations that were all interconnected with each other and had, you know, gates that could go either direction. I can definitely see those groups of nations getting a little arrogant and deciding Mm. that this cohesion made them better than perhaps some of their neighbors and gave them the right to say whether or not their neighbors were really nations or not. (laughs) Like, I could see that being a thing. Like, even in our asshole light world, I think that's a brand of assholery that we might see develop. At least there'd be factions in those countries probably agitating for it. Like, well, clearly we have a greater vantage point than these other nations, we should be making the decisions for everyone. We'll form our own little council and everyone else will just do what we say and it'll be fine. There'll be no problems at all, right? Well, and we've kind of like set a map of what it looks like now, but who's to say that these, you know, nations that we've kind of like chunked together as nations were not more fragmented or less fragmented at some point in their history that we are actually seeing the results of kind of coalition starting to blend together. 
Yeah, that's always interesting. I, I love thinking about proto, you know, like the, the proto nations, the things that come together to make a larger nation, all the different states that used to be chunks of Germany, <laughs> you know, like. For a really long time, like, like much longer than I think it it seems like it should have been. Like, we were well into the, like, modern era, and we still have these, like, itty-bitty little principalities that are conducting themselves, like, and the only reason they ever actually came together in Germany was, like, oh, shit, Franco-Prussian War, we should probably, like, do something about that, we should join together, and, yeah, okay, 1870, let's do it, but... And, yeah. and in that world, it comes along with a rise in the idea of national identity. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's part of what brings Germany and Italy together is the idea that, well, because we have this common language, because even though in many cases it wasn't really yeah, a common really, language no. because the northern Italians and southern Italians were not really speaking the same Italian, but it was close enough that some people in charge went, well, we are all one people. We must be. And not everybody in the area agreed, but... But we're going to go with it because we're having a war with France right now was at least at least yeah, Germany's so. excuse. And that ties back again to what is cultural identity? Yeah. Is it is it language? Like And the language unification in our world could be much different than it is in 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 our earth because the MNG is going to cause language to transmit in different ways. Yeah. It's not your next door neighbors necessarily picking up picking up your words. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was just kind of thinking about that this is probably a moment at which I've said the all not Lear is is the concert of states. They're like kind of their their main identity is their individual island, their individual little principality. But I think that's probably in flux at this point, right? Like they're starting to band together more. If there is a pirate nation with a pirate queen, we probably really don't like them. And so we're by necessity having to cooperate ever increasingly. And you wonder, so in 100 years, is this really going to be kind of a confederacy of individual groups that band together or will it be a cohesive nation that considers itself one and that was in the past that you considered yourself of this island first and then every national identity is secondary does it flip i don't know because honestly i would ask that question about the united states today Mm -hmm. how many people think of themselves as their state first rather than their country and i think it's not everyone but i think it's a lot of people (laughs) It's shifted. It's like it's and it's and, everyone and it's, in Texas. And it's and it's you know one of those things that like in like eighteen hundred you would have said most people probably did identify with their state first. Yeah. And then by like nineteen fifty, I think most people were probably like, I am American. That is what I am. Yeah, and then it's yeah, kind the of edged back again. But that is that is how they were phrasing it. I, I had yeah. I had a weird thing a while ago where where a scam artist was like texting me and i felt like playing with my food and like being like i'm like this is a scam but okay let's see were they see trying to goes. get you to secede from the union that's a weird no, they scam were, bro playing the long game as all scams one. are they're trying to get money so but i'm like oh where are you from and like i'm from the u.s i'm like nobody f- who is no, American would say that. And I almost wanted to like... slightly more likely than, I'm from the States. <laughs> yeah. No, if you ask an American where they're from, they're, they're going to tell you their state. I almost wanted to be like, to like critique their scam of yeah. like, it's like, here are the mistakes you. you made. Yeah. If you would like to better dupe people in the future. <laughs> I don't want to bust you. Respect a scammer. But... However... <laughs> Claim to be from Colorado. It's a large enough state that no one's going to question it, but it's not totally obvious, like picking New York or Texas or California. You know, <laughs> if you want to be successful in your scamming, that's funny. But no, that's such a tell. <laughs> like, no American would introduce themselves by that way first. We all talk about yeah, like, what state we're Which, from. I mean, honestly, like the time the time I spent the time I spent in Germany actually like trained me out of that because, I mean. Germans don't know, like, Iowa from Ohio, from Virginia. So I was like, I'm from the U.S. near Chicago. And that was, like, about the only... Because it's, like, other people have don't have the same concept of, like, geographic identity that, that we would have. So it, it, it was interesting. It was, like, an interesting inversion of, like, I have to untrain myself. I'm talking to people whose understanding of the place I am from is different than my own understanding, therefore. And of course, our states are as big as many countries mm-hmm. in some ways, which so it sort of makes sense that we have that that realm of identity. I wonder if the same is true in other nations that are such large landmass. I just don't I don't know yeah. enough about, you know, the cultural identity of of Russians. I would think that and once again, I'm speaking from a place of complete ignorance, but 
mean, China is a unified nation that has hundreds, I think, of languages within it. And so I don't know. I'd be really curious to find out how yeah. people identify by region or by nation there. And and whether that changes if they are speaking yeah. with someone who also understands the same things that they do, or if they're like, oh, it's a dumb yeah. American, I'm from China. Because you have no yeah. idea what I mean. Because I have had students from, like, China or other places, and you have to kind of press further to be like, you know, aware, like, tell me more about where you are from, because they kind of stop at that, like, national boundary, yeah. because they're like, do you really care about anything besides from that? It's like, and some of us are like, I do, I know enough to know, it's a big <laughs> yeah, place, like you what? don't, you don't all live in one of two or three coastal cities. What matters to you? I'm not sure <laughs> tell me more. how I can navigate this. So yeah, oceans are a thing. <laughs> we did we wandered we did. there didn't we but oh, cause, uh, no but it's good because we are continuing to think about all these different yes which plays into our intersectionality and and the levers of power and and that's all yeah. yes. ties together. and i think that's another all. um element of identity that we talked about recently was when greer McAllister came on a few episodes ago and we talked gender um, which we've talked about before but we can always talk about again because i think it is such a powerful nuanced and varied and just absolutely ripe for mining all kinds of conversations and explorations um and one thing i realized in thinking about what what sue you talked about with us and then think back to greer's you know chat with us was i don't know that we ever like have hashed out does our world have a unified concept of gender? Does it vary by the corners of the world? I'm guessing, knowing us, we're probably going to go with it varies. Yeah. A lot, depending on where you are and who you're talking about. But we never actually said that out loud. So I was like, should we? Yeah. Should we Should we poke at that a little? I think we should. I, I mean, I definitely think we should. Because I think, A, I think different cultures are going to have very different ideas of what gender means but also like even in an asshole light world probably some cultures will make very their cultures will will have a lot of gender bias in them of like who is supposedly doing what and what being masculine or feminine or other means culturally a thing i found myself wrestling with when thinking about this with with the fiala neri is that i i thought at some point when i was talking about like government structures that it has something to do with age, that there's like different age brackets, essentially, and that the government has to come to a consensus between these three different age brackets. I think when I thought of that, I was being particularly annoyed about how many like octogenarians there are in Congress <laughs> and that they're making decisions for pe- younger people. Valid. So I'm like, we're going to balance that out. But then I wondered, like, and this is something I have not decided yet, and I may not decide it while we're talking about it right now. But I wonder if that also plays into the Fjallanieri ideas of gender. And that your gender might be different based on your age. Maybe everyone goes through a succession of genders based on on age. But then I don't know if I like how much that might tie it to biology. I, I don't know if I like that or not. It's an intriguing concept. And a very old concept sure. that you're kind of like codifying in a very interesting way. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not sure how much I want to do with that. But it was an idea that occurred to me. And that like... I think there could be a way to do it that wouldn't necessarily make it gender essentialist in the way biology often can be, but even open it up sort of more like what what role are you choosing to play during the years that you are reproductively viable? Are you choosing to reproduce or are you choosing not to? And maybe that's what determines your gender, not whatever bits you've got attached to do the reproducing with. Well, and also the idea of... But it might be really complicated yeah, and hard well, to explain and, to readers, so I'm not sure. I think it's interesting, too, because there's the concept of, like, generativeness tied to a certain age that, that's tied to reproduction. But you've got a group of people that are so... They, they like their work. Work is their favorite. They make work their favorite. So do you have... Is it is is that time of life just about do you reproduce or not? Or is it also about what are you producing? How are you contributing? Like this is just, this yeah. is your contribution time yeah. of life. Like you have your like learning yeah. and growing time of life. Then you have your contribution time of life. And then you have whatever comes, your teaching, whatever comes your, after yeah, that makes your, the fallen year feel okay about not producing anymore. Yeah, teaching. <laughs> teaching. I think teaching. I think the instructive Mentoring. part this, of your the life. The sage era. Yeah. And so I get that, but like, it's I'm just trying to figure yeah. out like how much, how much might I want to tie that to ideas of gender without making it biological and gross right. ways? 
And I just don't know. I, I think it's something that were I writing well, a full novel around this, I'd have to spend a lot of time wrestling with that and figuring well, it out. Well, and think of the intersectionality element, which if you did have that, and you also have elements of masculine, feminine, non-binary, however you want to throw that in there, like which one's more important to your identity? Like, yeah. you know, I think... I definitely think the age is probably more which I think important. Is an, it, and I not think that one age even is better than another, but... It just identifies who you are. I think that, even just playing with that higher ranking concern is like a really interesting... Yeah thing to play with yeah like that's i think the higher ranking concern as opposed to and so maybe whatever their ideas of gender are maybe maybe they are more what what akin to what we have these days but that's less important than than the age thing i don't know it, it'd be it'd be a fun tangle it's, to it's work a, on a for, for a good long while so marshall what yeah. about griasta how does griasta so I'm just, I'm sorry. I just, I'm just imagining all the bathrooms in Griasta just having a snail on them. I don't know why. Like, I'm just imagining. Like, but, but there's like, imagine being a visitor and there's like four doors and they all have the same snail on them. And you're like, except maybe there's like one tiny difference. Like, there's a different shell pattern. There's like stripes on one and but spots on the other. And you're like, anything? I don't, is it just decoration? Or am I going to horribly offend somebody by walking into the wrong snail? <laughs> oh, man. Where's my guidebook? Where's my guidebook to Griasta? Sorry, Marshall. I So with Griasta, I but like I do think that as a culture, they see gender as a distinction without a difference, if that is the best way I can I can mm. I can say it. Like like they don't they don't create separate bathrooms or separate baths because they're like, why? Everybody's bits gotta get clean, so Right. It's like the children's book, everybody poops. Right. And in terms of like, like the relationships you want to pursue, like, like what bits you have and what bits you like to do things with, that's your business. And whatever permutations or combinations of that you, you like best is also your business. And nobody really gets, you know, all head up about that. And with that, there is no roles in society that are this is for this gender so while they acknowledge like that there is differences and people how they express themselves will follow those differences and you know that some people are like i feel somewhere in the middle or i feel none of the above and that's fine but there's no societal this is your role. This is what's expected of you because of that. Or, or this is how you present masculinity or femininity. Cause I think, I think there are no rules for that. Like there's no clothes in grass that are, these are masculine clothes. These are feminine clothes. There's no performative version of masculinity or femininity. And with that, there's probably not a whole lot made out of like, parentage or who's specifically like parental lines or or family you know what what you're i think you've mentioned that before, yeah that that they're very blurry about inheritance yes. sort of like who wants responsibility for this okay great you're its family now. <laughs> yeah and inheritance i think is entirely like this is the person i want to get my son and like that is it has nothing to do with with nor is there, are there any expectations along this line. Yeah, I was trying to remember because I think like way ages long ago, years ago at this point, um, while kind of first brainstorming Al Not Lear, I think I said that inheritance and like familial title was matrilineal. Yeah. Um, so that it's not an entirely matriarchal society, but the concept of inheritance and who is your family goes in a matrilineal line, which then leads me to like, okay, so that's going to, I made a choice that tipped over a domino that then affects how they're thinking about gender, um, which I actually kind of like because it complicates things and it kind of forces me to do more, more um, maybe to make some decisions about the the concept of gender in that world that that might force character tension for a lot of my characters, which is that I do think that they see a concept of a gender binary and to some degree heteronormativeness, but for the sake of economics, that you, you, you know, are 
link if, as soon as you're linking the concept of inheriting large estates and things like that to you want to marry the person who's going to inherit that and then pass that along to your children um that that sets up particular expectations and particular um understandings of gender and performing those genders and so yeah i think that it is a weird place to start from like in terms of making the decisions but i made that decision a long time ago and i guess i'll stand by it um but yeah i think that um that said i think that gender is not an impediment to engaging in economic or diplomatic power in, in Al Not Lear because of that balance of where inheritance comes from and where money is situated and where political and family ties are, are centered. So, yeah, I think I'll have to think more about exactly how that plays out and what it looks like. Well, I mean, but regardless of whatever decisions any culture one makes with gender, they, the, there is going to be the biological reality of one way or another cultures need more children i mean we've seen they, you know, they get made somehow they get made somehow and your culture is gonna make some you know cultural decisions about what that means in terms of and that can be how it you know reflects in marriage or child care or you know how pregnancy is even treated within the world i mean because you know when i was first thinking about grass i imagine that there was this other incredibly orthodox culture that was nearby and that both Griasa and this culture had this, I've talked about this before, but had this fertility crisis that both of them mm -hmm. figured out the solution for. That's like, oh, you know, when you want to get pregnant, you just take this herb and then you can. So like most, so birth control happens all the time unless you actively choose not to. And the Griasans were like, amazing <laughs> Score. this this is perfect and this other culture went fully orthodox and so they have a very gender binary culture where like the city is bisected and like the men are on this side and the women are on this side and you do not see each other except when you do the fertility rituals which are very very <laughs> controlled your, and very conjugal visits <laughs> yes <laughs> it's like a whole religious ritual and it's it's you know it's not the grassons are like that place is not fun we 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 do <laughs> we do not like that <laughs> not for us <laughs> do not like it sam i am yes but i think it you know it does set up some especially since i mean we have had the mng so People are understanding that that gender and expressions of gender and are working differently in different parts of the world. But um, I could see in like like this moment in our world's like history and progression and like going forward, like there will need to be a guidebook to how do you you know get along in certain areas because it's different. Like you can't. Sorry, Griasta, you can't do that here. We we have separate bathrooms or. Put your clothes on. This isn't a bathhouse. What are you doing? No. And the grass is like, but it's just, who cares? Why? Because this is men only or whatever. You wear special clothing to swim. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> and the Almut Leary are like, because we take every opportunity for fashion, even if it's just, you know, to go plunge ourselves in the ocean. That's why. Fiala and are like, I'm sorry, you want to swim in natural water it's very cold are you does he know how cold it is does we we put the oil skin suits on for a reason <laughs> and the reason is hypothermia oh dear oh he licked a snail too late <laughs> someone call the medic we're gonna need them soon oh too late <laughs> oh, darn. lost another griasta <laughs> it's what happens <laughs> We've told them not to run straight from the gate into oh. the water, but yet. <laughs> a, a, a side effect of, of the MNG, only living things can pass through. So if you die somewhere else. Ooh. That's. Oh my gosh. You're, you're, are you stuck there forever? Yeah, I, I, I don't think that you get wow. to go. Or I guess unless they're going to load you on a boat and tote you yeah. home. Yeah. Which that gets, that's, that gets gross fast. Yeah, unless, unless you're going to go the cremation route and send home an urn. 
I mean, it was a very obvious statement. I'm sorry. I don't know why I felt the need to make it there, but no, I was imagining. But, but, but no, we haven't thought about it before, though. Austin, like, oh, someone's going to have to send a note home to his family. <laughs> <laughs> we'll bury him nicely. Or however the Falunieri handle that. I love that your accent for the Falunieri is yeah. Minnesota. <laughs> it absolutely is. <laughs> those, those might be the upriver. Oh, yeah. The oh, upriver yeah. folk are Minnesotans. And... Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Though that does make me think, just like we have like the traveler culture, I, what if there was a culture that, like it, like a shipbound culture whose whole thing is bringing bodies home. Though, we have established we, priesthoods for other weird for other things. Weird, we had, yeah, we had yeah, that. You could. But wasn't there also? And like, we, something... we we've established that the Falunieri have ice. So, oh God, yeah. they do. <laughs> But I mean, maybe my memory is wrong, but wasn't, didn't somebody gift us with like some form of necromancy that like, yes, someone did the the body will walk home. Yes. It might've been Amanda when Amanda Downham was on, but Amanda, yeah, that was either Amanda or Amanda's was that there was a, like a priesthood or a group that, that would eat. I vaguely recall somebody gifted us with with necromancers who specifically raised the body for the body to walk home. Okay, but how far can it go before it starts falling apart? I have well, technical questions. I don't, I don't want to ask because I don't, I don't like I don't necromancy. Think that we answered that question, so it would I think be up to whoever wanted to play with that in terms of does the spell that, that raises them to walk them home also preserve them preserve. until they reach. The threshold of their own shore. Like it holds them together. Does it hold them together until they reach their grave? What's supposed to be their grave? And though that then, like that creates a wild funerary custom. Oh my God. Oh, just walking in, like just in a, I made a hand gesture of of someone falling into a hole. (laughs) Listeners who couldn't hear that. The body arrives dead and you basically have to have a wake of you be fast well but of like like awareness of like this person is dead and thus okay now we have to dig the grave like that can be a whole funeral mm. ceremony and where you dig the grave dig. for them to get into but it's also with that is the is the process of grief and mourning but with them standing there and i was imagining a fantastic like like this would make a great story that you have you go you go to your homeland right wherever you can the, your home so like they're like guiding the corpse all the way back to what they think is home and like that's not actually home and then you awkwardly have this like standing there like this isn't correct I I sorry your grave is in another castle. I moved when I was or- five and I don't consider this my home anymore or like <laughs> or does the body just know. I, see, I like I kind of like my weekend at Bernie's version here, but yeah, it could be that you follow <laughs> I mean, the that's body. Fun. It depends on on whether the whether this this like necrobancers if they are guiding the body home or if the body simply like goes on. Or if its they own. just send it. Yeah, I kind of like. I feel. I really kind of like the idea of it. I feel like you'd have to have someone accompanying it though, or else it might get eaten by something. Like it would be just followed by vultures the whole way home. So you have to have like, like the necromancers like beating off the vultures. Like no, not yet, not yours. Go. So horrifying. I kind of love the idea. <laughs> I think we need to stop because we're upsetting cats. <laughs> we're, we're breaking this cats. As bad yes. as open water. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I, but I did just. I do also just love the idea of this body traveling alone and like. But like that, there is also this like acknowledgement of respect of like like if a dead body walks on your boat, it's got somewhere to go. You and have you to just, take it. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Culturally, so you have a dead body course. walking onto a boat crossing the ocean, and we just described Cass's ultimate nightmare. <laughs> and therefore, we should probably stop before we thoroughly cause the nightmares that will haunt her. Why do we record so close to bedtime? This is like- <laughs> <laughs> all our listeners know all my fears now. Yes. This is great. <laughs> why don't you two? Why don't you two show some vulnerability? <laughs> I don't have any good ones anyway. like you do, guess. <laughs> How did we even I get on that? Know. We were talking about gender, and then somehow, somehow it became, became dead people. It was my fault. I brought up the dead people. I apologize. 
So speaking of magical things that can happen in our world, how about that segue? That's fantastic. Is that a good That's one? Good. And we're like we're almost at, like we're at our hour, I think. We so we don't really have time to dive into I'm this. I'm not even looking at the. Yeah, I, you know, I was. Wow. We, I was going to say, I, mean, I feel like like just kind of acknowledging the fact that magic is a thing that we have that is part of yeah. the dynamic probably, of power, but we probably need to come back to it because we probably need to devote a whole episode do. to it. Maybe we do that after we've had our marathon of amazing guests idea. this summer. We'll come in and talk about magic for a while because yeah, like we need to nail down more of how it works overall because something something radioactive moon forces i wasn't on the podcast when y'all decided this to begin with <laughs> something something in the ground something, something, it is something, a lot of like moon. yes and very tied to your individual secret moon place so and yeah yes. but does that mean that the magic is actually different in different areas and cultures or is it simply used differently is is the is the way the magic works shaped by the cultural constructs that people have put around it. I think both is of it, yes. Is it, I love yeah. it. Yes. Yeah. Make it as complicated yes. as possible. I'm yes. for that. Yes. It is shaped by the culture, but it's also shaped by the actual physical yes. dirt. Like, I don't want to get all Brandon Sanderson and, like, like yeah, specific... No, like, metals are not involved in this. Periodic table all. of elements <laughs> and no. all that shit. No. But I think the idea that, like, there is something very specific about the literal land each place that has mm-hmm. different effects of magic. Here's one good overarching question for it. We sort of decided that the MNG also spawns from this, like, Earth-Moon radioactive interaction. Right. Are the areas with gates more heavily magical? Or maybe less magical because all it's the magic in that area up. is going into the gate? Ooh. Maybe not all, you know, like, maybe not, like, entirely devoid of magic. But is but there some kind of, of correlation... Sink. Yeah, Ooh. I don't know. Magic is I, magic is harder okay. there, or magic requires more well, I, work. I, I like that. No, I like that I a lot. Like, I will say I like the idea. It helps balance. I do feel like part of the problem though is we haven't even decided how you access the magic, how you use it, or how it comes out. So yeah. like, it's that's a complicated question because I, it's like, is the magic is. something that you have to access, or how do you access it? We've made a complicated we have. So My gut is that magic is a thing that almost anybody can learn how to access if you go through the trouble of learning. But, like, the amount of, like, ambient zhuzh in the space. Zhuzh. The zhuzh. zhuzh. The zhuzh. zhuzh. That's I like it. That's what we're calling it. That's what we're calling <laughs> okay. it. Can vary. And I think, mm-hmm. yeah, the gate places, like, the gate itself sucks up a lot of the zhuzh. Not all of it, but so a lot of it. But so why I take I more effort that. to get to the judge. Why I love that is then you have these parts of the world that like don't really have much a gate, which are like the fucking weird wilds. It's like and the sense like that's where the really weird shit happens. As far as like they're up to here with fucking mages. They're just because they have more judge and it takes less to access the judge. Exactly. And maybe that's also where we get like. We get like weirder magical creatures and stuff too, because we don't really talk too much about like. Yeah, we haven't done too You know, we talked about some yet. megafauna and things, but I don't know. Maybe you only find griffins in this one area because there, all the zhuzh turned into griffins. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We're calling it zhuzh it now. Is. That's that's. It may. I'm for that. I feel really bad for anyone transcribing this, by the way. But uh... it's gonna be me eventually. So. Z h u s h. Z h. How are Z h? No, because it's zhuzh. That's still a Okay, zhuzh. we're going to have to work this out later. <laughs> I feel like we all or maybe a J- in very different or, ways. I've got yes. a G somewhere in there. I don't know why. I, I got maybe a J, but there's definitely like a... <laughs> anyway. Good. Good. So, yet another element. It's spelled different of... in every culture. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Maybe we should each come up with our little corner's name for it, and then we never have to use zhuzh again. I love that because that that sets up the idea that there are these spots of the world that are off the circuits of the MNGs that probably people like like you were talking about the people who are on those hub circuits are like we're kind of better than than the rest of the world and so that they see those as these like wild fucking places where you don't know what's going to happen because I don't want to necessarily use the word like uncivilized but I can see the people there in the you know 
Yes. Like there that is could that... be the in-world attitude of some people. Yeah. But I also think it'd be fun if in some, in some place, like wild untrammeled magic can turn into so many different things. Like it can be fey nonsense. It can be magic creatures. It could be a magical Wakanda that most mm. of the world doesn't realize is there because they decided, ah, no, that's just wilderness. That's just that's just crazy fey territory. And instead, there's this incredibly thriving civilization there. That's <laughs> that are like, like mm. let's hide ourselves from every from we're the fine. rest All of those us. weirdos. Yeah, we're fine. Yeah. There's so many different ways that that could manifest, and it introduces an interesting balance into the mm-hmm. world too. It's sort of a counterweight to what the what the MNG does for some societies, having more magical power gives other societies something to to push back at which is fun. and i also like that we've we've determined that anyone can do this if they learn so i like that from the perspective of like it's more interesting that way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and so you have the, the you know how how do people learn what are people's cultures around learning we can dive into all of that at some future date but i find it much more interesting in terms of like entering magic into the matrix of power if it's not something that is exclusionary, yeah. like biologically yeah, yeah. or genetically, like no, yeah. anyone truly can like enter into this. And two, that if it is something that you can learn to do and something that is accessible at various power levels, you can access it in different ways, you know, people are going to study it. And so yeah. entering again, entering the matrix of power, like that's going to be in flux as people are like, in at this point in our in our world kind of an a proto enlightenment like they're digging into the science of things and like how does this work how can we study it how can we understand it better so people are going to be coming to different conclusions about like how how can you amplify your access of the magic what else can you do with it what can you try which yeah. i think is much more interesting again than if it's just kind of a flat abracadabra and you have to be a chosen one yeah. to do it yeah, and it gives you so many things to build into the societies about magic, too. Like, what the magic schools look like, what the training system is like. Is it is it closed off in some ways? Um, do you have to prove yourself before you can enter the magic school? Or can anyone with the right amount of money sign up for magic school? Or will they take literally anyone? And is that related to how much zhuzh they have access to? And, and oh, you can have all kinds of fun yes. things. Is it closed or open? Will they teach outsiders? Yeah, their way of accessing magic, or is it only if you're with already within the culture that you get access to it? What are the different foci? You know, do some people use wands and some people use runes and some people use dance gestures? Like, I I want some magical dance battles somewhere in this world. I <laughs> I think that's a thing we need. I also like the idea that because these places where you would go to study have to be in the the areas with more zhuzh and thus like off off the tracks of where the MNGs are. Or less zhuzh, because we don't want the students accessing all that zhuzh all at once, Marshall. <laughs> I like the idea of, like, if you want to go and learn, like, the good stuff or the deep stuff, you got to go on a journey. You can't just, like, you know, pop over. Like, you got you to gotta mount up and go into the mountains. Is it more powerful up in the mountains because there's more literal land beneath them? I don't know. But those are good questions. Yes. <laughs> that we can play with at a future date because we are we are at our time and over our time but yes it's been fun diving back into our world and and playing with it and I, know. I like our world so much it's so much fun we need to we need to play with it more poking around with some of with some of the things we've we've learned from our guests i know this podcast makes me feel so much smarter <laughs> <laughs> and not not because of me, because of literally everyone on it except me, <laughs> you two, and all of our guests. So, and yep. our amazing guests, all of our amazing guests. Hopefully, for our listeners, they feel smarter, and this unlocks brilliant things for them too. I hope. I, I always That's why they should nominate us for a Hugo. Brought it back. <laughs> and and see. Hi you! Thanks for listening to this episode of World Building for Masochists and letting us help you overcomplicate your writing life. Our next episode will go up on April 12th, which will be our 100th episode, and of course we're making a big thing of it. 
So we're talking about world building for gaming with Katie Osborne, Andrew Nome, and Sharang Biswas. It's going to be a large and very fun conversation. If you want to know more about your hosts and the fantastical books we write, including Cass's latest, The Bloodstained Shade, my new novelette, Hultachaya, Rowena's The Fairy Bargains of Prospect Hill, links to all of that information is on our website at worldbuildingformasochist.podbeam.com. We really hope you liked this episode. If you did, please do take a minute to tell a friend, shout about us on the internet, or leave a review on iTunes. If you've got questions or just want to tell us how cute we are, there's a number of ways to contact us. We're on Twitter as at WorldBuildCast, and our email is worldbuildcast at gmail.com. We also have a Discord chat room linked in the About the Show page of our website if you want to come chat with us and other fans of the podcast. We'd love for you to share the worlds you're making and help us all build until it hurts.